Welcome to Sermons of Grace with Pastor David Murphy of the Grace Baptist Church in Gambles Terrace, Antigua. Previously in our study on the disciplines of the believer's life, Pastor Murphy showed us two dangers we face if we fail in the Christian discipline of self-examination. Today, we'll see the danger of not examining our own spiritual gifts and their role in Christian service. I want to read 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5. And then I want you to also turn to Romans chapter 12. And our text is found in Romans chapter 12, which I want to deal with this evening. But in Corinthians chapter 13 of 2 Corinthians, uh, the Apostle Paul uh, says to these uh, saints, he says in verse 5, he says, examine yourself, whether you be in the faith, prove your own selves, know ye not that the Lord Jesus Christ is in you, except ye be reprobates. And then if you turn with me, please, to uh, Romans chapter 12, uh, you find that Paul says in this passage, Romans chapter 12 and verse number 3, he said, For I say, who the grace given unto me, to every man that's among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God hath given to every man the measure of faith. For as ye have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we being many are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith, or ministry let us wait on ministering, as he that teacheth on teaching, and he that exhorteth on exhortation. He that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. He that ruleth with diligence. He that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good. Be kindly affection one to another, with brotherly love, in honor preferring one another. Not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Let's have a word of prayer before we deal with this. My Father, thank you for a good day, a good meal, some rest. Thank you for girding up the loins of our minds so that we can be back here this evening. Uh, thank you for, as was pointed out uh, in the testimony, uh, for even life itself. Uh, thank you for a church where the word of God can be preached, where people have an ear to hear and who has the capacity to pay attention and listen and to be engaged in the preaching of the word. I ask you this evening as we once again go to scripture and we pray that you would give us the help that we need to do a proper exposition of the word. Lord, we want to do justice to your word every time we come into the pulpit. It's the great burden that is laid upon our shoulders as pastors and preachers. And have we really honored you in the way we preach? Have we taught the truth that is there? 
Have we done it in such a way that people can grasp what is there? And then has your spirit found enough ammunition to bring the conviction that is necessary and to galvanize the saint uh, to the obedience that the word of God requires? There's so many factors engaged in this matter. And however we preach and however long we preach, we never have a sense of adequacy. There's always deep within our soul the sense that no one is really sufficient for this ministry. But we thank you that God is all for sufficiency. And we thank you that your Holy Spirit is the one that enables and empowers and uses the word. So we thank you that the results of all that we do is not dependent upon just human skill or human ability or human capacity or human gifts. But what it really depends upon is the operation of the Spirit in taking the Word and using it. And so the burden of results is taken away from us because it's the Lord that brings about the results. Our job is to be faithful in dispensing the Word and preaching the Word. And even though it's an awesome task, at least in some measure, that burden is lifted when we realize it's God that brings the fruit. Paul may preach... Apollos may water, but it's God that gives the increase. And that makes all the world of difference. And so tonight, once again, we ask you for your help. And we ask you to be sovereignly involved in the hearing this evening. And to help us as your people to see the application of what we preach tonight. And how it really specifically relates to us in our church. And how we are used within the ministry for the good of the whole church. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Tonight will be the third night that I'm dealing with the subject of self-examination. Uh, I was hoping that this would be the final message on the subject. But on more reflection, it seems to me that we may have a fourth one. Uh, it's not because I desire it to happen this way. Because as you begin to do your study, you begin to see that the material you have is just too much. You can, you can squeeze a lot into it and miss the whole point and just do general preaching. Or you can zero in and be more specific and try to focus more on particular areas that we've been dealing with. Now I want to confess to you tonight that I share the same failure that most of you in this building share with respect to this subject. Self-examination has not been a regular practice with me. And I seriously doubt it has been a regular practice with you. Uh, you know, there are some sermons that I as a pastor, uh, when I begin to preach them, uh, I wish that I only had to do three things. I wish that I could just read the text, say a prayer, and give the benediction. Because sometimes the topics that you're dealing with uh, are so personal and so self-rebuking that you wonder if you have a right as a pastor to preach on that topic. This is one of them. See? Because here am I speaking on self-examination. And while I'm speaking, I realize, pastor, you're speaking to yourself. Because it's one of the great failures in the Christian life. Um, here we are, saved for so many years. Some of you have been saved for over a decade. Some of you is two decades. Some of you, it is almost like for eternity. But you've been saved for so long. 
and I would, I would, I would, I would uh, ask you, and you, if I were to ask you to raise your hand and be really honest with me, how many of you have really ever done a real self-examination of yourself? I believe sincerely that there will be very few people be able to put their hand up as a pastor have done that. And that is why a topic like this is a subject that we need to deal with even so periodically. But you know the irony about this whole matter of self-examination? Here's the irony of it. That we are so meticulous and so punctilious about other forms of examination that it baffles me to think that we are so negligent in this area. For example, there are people here that you have on your calendar an annual medical examination. It's not a question if you're going to have an annual medical examination. But your health is so important to you that that is scheduled on your, your, your events. And, and you know what? It, it, you, you don't forget it. As a matter of fact, you remember, I've got to have this examination. See? For some other people, but you know, you have a regular service of your car. Yeah. It, 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 it may be every three months. But you don't ever forget the car has to go for service. The car has to be examined by the mechanic to find out what's wrong with it. And that's the irony of this whole thing. That we are so concerned about and so meticulous and so punctilious about the examination of other things that are important to us that we forget this whole matter of self-examination. And I would hope that there's some of you in here, most of you in here, if you have a bank account, I hope that every month you do, do some kind of an examination of your, when you get your, uh, your statement. Yeah. I do hope that. <laughs> the bank might be taking off 50 cents off your account. Take off 50 cents off the uh, 5,000 people. You see how much money that is. See? But incrementally they're removing a little bit from you day by day. and You don't even realize a substantial sum after a while. But I hope that when you get that statement, you just don't file it away. I hope that you go, what are my deposits? What are my withdrawals? It's important. You know why it's important to you? Your car is important. Your health is important. Your bank account is important. And that's why you ensure that you do a periodic examination of those results. And then, if you're a lady here tonight, because of the incidence of cancer, it is so prevalent, especially breast cancer, I would hazard a guess that you probably examine yourselves either daily or weekly or monthly. If you don't do it, you're a fool. See? You're playing Russian roulette with your life. But you do an examination. You, you're in the shower and you examine yourself because you want to see if there's a lump. You want to see if there's some kind of a, 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 a disproportionate part of your body. You're trying. You know what? Because cancer is real. And you know what's important to you? Something called life. So you want the longevity. You don't want your life to be shortened. The reason we do such things is one reason only. We do what is really significantly important to us. And here's the problem. When we don't examine ourselves as the Bible enjoins us to do, it's a clear indication that we don't take this matter very seriously and it's not really important to us. You see why they're so rebuking? And I hope you feel the, the sting of that as well. That all these other things you are concerned about, 
But this matter of self-examination, it is not really a part of you. And that is a startling fact. Yet when you come to scripture, we discover that self-examination is important for at least four simple reasons. I gave those to you. Number one, it's important because it's a biblical injunction. The Apostle Paul screams to the Corinthians, he said to them, examine yourself. See? That's a command, that's an exhortation. That is something that Paul expected the Corinthians to do. And by extension, that's something that Paul expects us to do. It's a biblical injunction. It is not something that we can take lightly. It's an imperative. If we understand that it's a command to us to examine ourselves, and we take this thing very seriously, we would not take a nonchalant attitude. None of us, none of us would, would dare take the things about our health, about our car, about our vehicle, about our bank account, about our life. We would never take that in a nonchalant way. We take it very seriously. But when we come to scripture and we find the exhortation, the command, and the imperative to examine ourselves, suddenly it doesn't carry the same weight that these other things do. And it's because we have a priority skewed. And what should really be important to us, we've inverted those priorities. And that's why we're in the state we're in. The second reason we must do it is because it was the, it's the practice of the saints in all ages. This may be the only exception to the church history. But if you go into the church and read the lives of any of the great saints, you will find that self-examination was a natural, normal part of their lives. As a matter of fact, you cannot read the Puritans and not say to yourself, Ami. Because you see how seriously they took the Christian life. It is sad, very, very sad, that we are in the state we're in and we want the state to be reversed, but somehow we're not willing to pay the price for it. We want God to just say, okay, we'll start over fresh from today. You don't have to do anything. I'll just bless you. But every promise in the scripture has a requirement. There is some condition attached to it. And if we want godliness, we've got to do the hard work of discipline. And part of that discipline is the fine art of self-examination. And then thirdly, uh, which I pointed out to you that this whole matter of self-examination is one of the great disciplines in the pursuit of godliness. And then the last thing I pointed out to you last time is the fact that uh, we must do self-examination because the Christian life is fraught with dangers and fraught with different problems that we have to face in the Christian life. Yet when you look at the problems I mentioned last time, and I'll come to those shortly and then deal with it the next one, Every single danger that the Bible warns us about, every single problem that the Christian life is confronted about that the Bible talks about, could either be averted or could be avoided if we took the time to really do some self-examination. But we don't do it. And what a sad thing it is. Now last Sunday night, I began to deal with what I call the four dangers or the four problems that confront the Christian life that we and why we need to do self-examination. I mentioned these four things and I just want to mention them again and then we'll come to the third one tonight. You remember I said that the reason why we need to do self-examination is because of self-deception. We dealt with that and we looked at Matthew chapter 7 and Acts chapter 10. Whether you know it or not, the possibility exists for every single one of us here to deceive ourselves. And self-deception is not something that is a minor element in the Christian faith. 
it's going to be a very common thing. And I reminded you that in Matthew chapter 7, the Lord said, many. He didn't say few. Many will say to me in that day. A whole host of people will be saying that I am in the kingdom and God, not, you're not in the kingdom. The day of disappointment is coming for many. And then the only way to avoid that disappointment is the matter of self-examination. And we gave you the criteria uh, in the last message of, of what criteria you can use to know if you're really a Christian or not. And it has nothing to do that you made a decision. I can't emphasize that too much. See, Every time you talk to people, the first thing they tell you, but I made a decision five years ago. There's nothing in the Bible that you make a decision. The Bible says to you, says, this is how you know that you belong to the Lord. This is how you know that you're righteous. This is how you know you're saved. And I don't know why we keep telling people, uh, you know, I made a decision. You hold on to that. You hold on to it. And you ignore all the other things the Lord tells you about. You hold on to that one and see when you get to, the, get to him and you tell him you made a decision. And when he said, but I did, did I not tell you one, two, three, four? Then you'll begin to see whose word really counts in that regard. So we talked about the matter of self-deception and we use an illustration of that in Acts chapter 10 of a man who heard the gospel, the man who believed, a man who was baptized, a man who became part of the church. We had a man who Peter said, you have no lot, no part in this matter. Ask that maybe God would grant you repentance. Now there's a man that heard, believed, baptized, part of the church, but not saved. The shocker. And the way that you and I will deal with this matter, to settle this whole matter, is a forensic self-examination of ourselves, using scripture, the criteria, and the standards that the Lord has set, and the principles that said, is this true of me? Is this true of me? Is this true of me? And when you discover this is not true of me, don't then begin to rationalize. Face the fact. And face it very squarely. And then the second thing that we talked about, why the need for self-examination, another danger, the matter of secret sin. And we went to the book of Psalm chapter 39 and Psalm chapter 26. And we talk about the need that even within the Christian life, we may have ears in our lives, secret ears in our lives, that we are covering up things. We put them under the rug. We've locked certain doors in our lives that nobody knows about. And David understood the importance of, of dealing with that matter. But David asked God to probe into my heart. So he asked God to, to search him, to know him, and to see. And he asked God to look at his heart, to look at his thoughts, and look at his ways. See? Sometimes all we ask God is look at our ways. See? We never come into the thought life. We never come into the, 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 the inner person of the heart. See? And David is so concerned about his spiritual state. That he asked the Lord to search him. So we need to do self-examination because of the danger of self-deception. But we also need to do self-examination because of the fact of secrets in our lives. That can be hampering the work of God in our own lives. There's some of you that may be for years wondering why there's no blessing. I mean I seem to do everything that's right but no blessing comes. Could I suggest to you that there may be something way back there in your life that you never dealt with. Never dealt with. See? Yeah. That's like you're doing me something extremely wrong and doing some marginal problems and then, you know, you fix all the marginal problems and forget the real thing that you did. So you go on operating, you know, I fixed this and I fixed this and as though that thing should be right. But what you don't understand that there's something far deeper. 
So when you think you've dealt with the problem, you haven't dealt with the problem because the real problem still coexists. And that is where you need this probing, this examination. It's a terrible thing. And people don't like to examine themselves because to them it is not important. Now that brings me to the third reason and the third problem we face in the Christian life, why self-examination is so important. And that is found in, 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 in uh, Romans chapter 12 and verse 3. And notice what Paul says. He said, For I say through the grace given to me, to every man that's among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God hath dealt to every man uh, the measure of faith. What Paul is calling for in this passage is that we do an appraisal of ourselves. And in the whole context, the Apostle Paul is dealing with it in the, in the concept of our gifts and our service in the church. And the Apostle Paul is making it quite clear that what we need to do when it comes to our gifts and our service to the Lord is to do a self-appraisal. Not only think, but don't think above who you are. We'll come to that in just a short minute. He's calling for us to praise ourselves to know where we fit into the church, where our function is, what our role is, what gifts we have. And how we can use those particular gifts. So if we're going to be involved in the work, it's crucially important for us that we appraise ourselves to know exactly what gifts we have and then what function we play within the local church. The other matter that we'll come to, which is the fourth reason that we need to examine ourselves, is found in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1, which has to do with we must examine ourselves if we are going to have it. Our capacity to be successful in helping people who have fallen. To counsel people is dependent on, first of all, considering yourself. Examining yourself. You see, I can't pull the moat out of your eye, Brother Robert, if I got a beam in mine. As a matter of fact, I can't see the moat because the beam is too big. So if I go about thinking that I can solve people's problems, help people's problems, and I never come to really do an, uh, an examination myself to see what my real state is. I, I can't help the brother that's fallen if I don't consider myself. If I don't examine myself and do an appraisal, of my, am I in a position really to help this chap or not? And that's another reason we need to do some examination. We always believe that we got the answer to people's problems. And we rush in where angels fail to thread. And very often, by the time we're finished with the people and the way we dealt with the whole matter, we've left them in a worse state than when they began. And the part of the reason for that is that we are not in the spiritual position to give any help to anybody. But we'll only know that when we begin to do an examination of ourselves. So that is the fourth thing that we will look at as we go on. By the way, you notice that when you look at these four things I'm talking about, that I've arranged them in a specific order. It's not by accident that, that way. You notice that the first two has to do with what? Your personal world. It has to do with your self-deception. It has to do with your, your secret sin. See? It's, it's, it's deliberately done that way. You notice what the last two have to do? Your public service. It has to do with your use of gifts in the church. It has to do with your helping people who are in need of counseling. See? You take care of your personal life first before you're able to do public service. So it's no accident that they arrange in that order. It was a deliberate plan. To put them in that order. And so we come to this one now that Paul is dealing with. 
uh, has to do with the matter of our sphere of service in regards to the issue of our area of giftedness. Now, I want to say before we uh, get into this matter, I hope you understand that when it comes to our sphere of service in the church, it's a direct correlation between our service in the church and our, our gifts and our talents. Now, if you don't understand that, you'll always have confusion in the church. Look, I can't play the piano. The only instrument I can play, I can pick my nose, that's it. But I can't play an instrument. I can't play, I can't play, I can't play a guitar. I, I just really, it's not, I'm not gifted. I admire people who have either the gift of language, where they can speak a foreign language, or if they can play an instrument. There's something special about that. So I'm not going to try to play the piano because I realize that is not my area of giftedness. I'm not going to wait for you to tell me, Pastor, put down the foolish, put down the thing because you can't play. No, people can see that when it comes to the piano. But there are other areas where people can't see it. There are some people who just can't teach. There are some people who can't preach. And by the way, it doesn't mean that they're not qualified. They may have a degree, but they can't teach. Every one of us has had a teacher like that in school. Every single one of us has had a teacher like that. I mean, when you look at his credentials and qualifications, this man should be brilliant. But when he gets before the class, you realize that, wait a minute, did he really go to school? He can't explain. And could I say this? There's some people who can't sing. Just can't sing. Now, by the way, I'm not discouraging you to come up and, and sing a special. Not, and believe you me. But what I'm saying to you, if you're going to sing a special, sing a special that you can sing. Don't sing a song that nobody knows about. Uh, can't even, you know, you, you know, sing a song that you can sing. Sing a song that, is, that you are capable with. Oh, no, I, that is not intended to offend anybody. That's intended to say to you, look, really, really look at the thing carefully. See? I think I've told you about this in America. You had this opera singer. that Hundreds of people used to go, turn up to see her sing. But it was not to hear her sing, it was to laugh at how she was singing. But she thought about all these crowds, all these crowds, surely I've got a voice. I probably should not say that because I, I, I don't want you to feel that you should not be singing it, honestly. But I'm saying to you that if you know your limitations, just know your limitations. See? There's some people who should only sing in the choir. Seriously, should only sing. And they know that. There's some people who can't carry a tune. You ever sat down by somebody here and they're saying, I'm not alive? They're putting you off key. And by the way, a lot of them will tell you, Pastor, I, I, I just can't sing. But there are other people that can be off key from now until the Lord comes back and they can't pick it up. And the problem with that, of course, is that uh, they get highly offended when you go to them and say, may I speak to you in private? Have you considered doing this instead? And then war starts out. Who are you to tell me? Who are you to tell me? That is why we need honesty with ourselves. That's why we need examining, examining ourselves. Or gifts, do, do I have this gift or I not have this gift? And by the way, you will always know your gift because it is something you enjoy doing. Yes. 
If you're doing anything that you don't enjoy doing, it's not your area of giftedness. Simple as that. Very simple as that. Because when God gives you the gift and the Spirit gives you the gift, He motivates you to want to use that gift. And if you find that people got to pull nails to get you to do something that you don't want to do, take it from me, that's not your job. That's not your area of giftedness. So be very honest as a pastor, that's not my gift. Rather than keep on doing it and be so frustrated, you're doing it so half-heartedly, you're not doing it in the right spirit, and it's not a blessing to the people because everybody realizes that it's just a pain doing it. So I want to say to you that we had to understand the correlation between my ministry in the church and your ministry in the church, between that and the gift that God has given to me. There's another thing I would like to say before in this whole matter. We need to understand that our involvement in the church, our involvement in ministry follows a threefold pattern. And Paul gives us this pattern in, in Romans chapter 11 and Romans chapter 12. It's always this order. When you want to minister in the church and serve in the church, it should always come in this order. Number one, you've got to be saved. You've got to, be, you've got to have what I call salvation. Number two, you've got to be to the point where you surrender to the Lord. And then number three, act surrender, then you use your spiritual gifts. Now that's the order you find here that Paul is dealing with. In chapter 11, you find that the apostle Paul eulogizes God for the mercy he's given to the Gentiles and bring the Gentiles into the faith, that he's grafted in the Gentiles. Look at what Paul says in verse number 11 of chapter 11. He said, I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? God forbid. But rather through their fall, salvation has come unto who? The Gentiles. So Paul is reminding these people he's writing to that you got grafted into God's plan. You got saved. You're a Christian. Then look at verse number 17 of the same chapter and see what he says. He says, And if some of the branches be broken off, and thou being a wild olive tree was grafted in among them, He's talking about the Gentile being grafted into the plan of salvation. And then look at verse number 30. For as ye in times past have not believed God, yet have now what? Obtained mercy. So the Apostle Paul is establishing the dispensation of, God, of God's dealings with Jew and Gentile. And he's reminding these Christians that God grafted you into his dispensational plan. In other words, before he even talks about spiritual gifts, he points out to them that they are saved, they're, they're into salvation. The second thing that Paul does is found in chapter 12, verse 1. Having received salvation, Paul now appeals to the fact that they have received mercies. I, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the what? The mercies of God, they do what? Present your body. He calls to them, now that you're saved, it doesn't stop there. Because you're saved and the mercy of God has been extended to you and you have been grafted into God's plan, Paul says the proper response of you now is to do what? Present your body, surrender to the Lord. See? Salvation comes first, sir. But surrender comes second. See? But before you can ever use your spiritual gifts, you must not only be saved, you must be surrendered. And then the third thing that Paul mentions is in verse number three. He said, now, now that you're saved, now that you're surrendered, I want to talk to you about your spiritual gift and how that functions within the church. 
See the order? Saved, surrendered, and now you're now equipped for service. See? Now it's important for us to stress that because we've got a lot of saved people who should not be doing anything in the church. You know why? They're not surrendered. They're simply not surrendered. See? Now to make that kind of a statement might offend some of you. Because you think because a person is saved, they should be allowed to do things in the church. But you go through this passage and see the order in which Paul wrote this. And Paul is making it very clearly. You're saved. You surrender yourself to the Lord. Now let me tell you about spiritual gifts. See? It's so vitally important for us to do that. And then, now Paul talks in verse number 3. He talks about service. And he says in verse number 3, For I say through the grace of God given to me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God hath given and dealt to every man the measure of faith. And then he goes on to say, For as we have many members in one body, etc., etc., we don't have the same office, so being many, one body in Christ, every member is one of another, having gifts therefore differing. Now Paul is saying, You are now in a position for me to discuss with you this whole matter about spiritual gifts and your service in the church. So, service without either or with both missing salvation and surrender, you'll find that any service where those two things are missing or one is missing will never be fruitful or never will it be effective. The two are required, they are prerequisites for the effective use of spiritual gifts within the church. And perhaps the reason why you have been Engage in so many different things and yet you're not seeing any fruit. They're not effective. Have you ever asked yourself the question? Sure, you say, but are you, are you surrendered? Are you surrendered? And you might discover the reason why you're not effective, why there's not much fruit in your life, because you're saved, but you're not surrendered. Paul deals with both of these in this passage. Now, there's a third problem that Paul talks about here, and that has to do with the whole matter of our intellectual conceit. Look what he says in verse number 3. He said, For I say through the grace of God given to me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. And what Paul is talking about here, that you need to think soberly. And the word sober has to do with balance. You ever see a drunken man yet? He lost control of his rationality and his senses. And Paul is talking about having a clear objective, balanced view of yourself in regards to your gifts. Don't think too highly of yourself. You've got to settle this whole matter by doing an appraisal, an examination of yourself to decide what are my real gifts. This is what he's talking about. You don't want to think too low, you don't want to think too high. You want soberness, balance. You want objectivity. And to do that kind of objectivity, it requires this matter of a sober appraisal that Paul talks about here. Uh, so that we do not engage in what I call disruptive self-elevation. See? Trying to be and do things that God has not gifted you to do. And this is what the Apostle Paul is here saying. And learning... To fit into the body and function in a non-competitive way within the body uh, of Christ. Now, you'll notice that in this section where Paul is talking about the need for self-appraisal. 
self-examination in respect to our gifts and our talents. Uh, you know that Paul uses his favorite analogy that he keeps on using again. He, he calls the church a what? A body. This is Paul's favorite analogy of the church. Uh, and the basic argument that Paul gives in Corinthians chapter 12 about the body is that the body is a synchronized mechanism. Everything is in sync. And uh, by the way, body parts don't argue with each other. At least not mine. <laughs> My brain never said, I tired being the brain. I want to be the foot. See? Never. They, they, they don't argue with each other. Neither do they envy each other. See? They don't do that. And by the way, nor do they dispute the relative importance of each other. See? They just function. They, they, don't, they see themselves as part of the body. My hand is a hand. My, my feet, uh, feet, my head is a head. And this is what Paul is saying. You can only do a, a, a properly functioning church if you understand you are a hand in the church. You're a foot in the church. You're a head in the church. You know? You're eye in the church. You're the ear in the church. But what happens when the hand thinks it should be the foot? And what happens when the foot wants to be the brain? And what happens when the tail wants to be the head? You see the problem? So we're talking about this matter of self-examination. And we've got to understand it has practical implications. Not only it has for our service. And the thing about each part of the body is that each part of the body functions, carries out its, fu- its function. It doesn't matter where it's in a prominent place or a lowly place. It just functions because what? It wants the body to operate as a whole. You know, when Paul is arguing in Corinthians chapter 12, Paul said, listen, there's some parts of the body that don't get any glory. Don't get any glory. He talked about um, uncomely parts. Don't get any glory, but they're far. You ever see anybody talk about how nice the kidney look? See? No, I'm serious. You know, my kidney boy is a pretty kidney. You know? No, but listen... You can have your face ripped off and still alive, but you can't live without your kidneys. So, so what, what seems important may not be that important. The Apostle Paul is, is trying to get our attention, and he wants us to understand that we must learn to function, and we must subdue self-interest, and all in the interest of the church, and all in the interest of the body. He wants us to understand that now. And that's how Paul wants the church to function. That's why Paul is calling upon these believers who are saved and who are surrendered. He's saying, listen, okay, here is the matter of your spiritual gifts. And I want to help you to know how you're going to fit into the church. But in order to fit into the church, you will need to do an appraisal of yourself. Now, the words already says, uh, think, and uh, look at verse number three. I say unto thee, the grace of God, give me to every man that, that's among you, not to think of himself more Highly. You know what that word is in the Greek language? It's hooper frenion. And the word means to think proudly. To think above your standard. See? To try to be an intellectual genius when you're just a Lilliputian. See? Yeah. To try to be something that you're not. And this is what Paul 
is talking about. And then he said to think soberly. The word there is sophrium. It means to think soberly. It means to think uh, to be in one's right mind. I like what A.T. Robinson said about this matter uh, here. He says conceit is treated as a species of insanity. <laughs> well said. <laughs> well said. Conceit is treated as a species of insanity. Well said. See? And this is what Paul is here asking these people uh, about this service. He wants them to look at this whole matter. So what Paul is calling them to do here is to do a right appraisal of themselves, right appraisal of the gifts. And he wants to help them to examine themselves in relation to the gifts to see how they can be used in the church. Be sure you join us again next time here on Sermons of Grace as Pastor Murphy shows us principles that Paul gives to guide us in our self-examination of our spiritual gifts and role in the church. If you'd like to contact Pastor David Murphy or Grace Baptist Church, please call 268-462-4230 or visit during one of their service times. Sunday school is at 9 a.m., Sunday morning at 10 a.m., Sunday evening at 7 p.m., or Thursday evenings at 7 p.m. Grace Baptist Church is located on Rowan Henry Street in Gambles Terrace, Antigua.